I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. I want to give you a profile on Buffalo Bill. Welcome back. Yes, I'm back. You arrived yesterday afternoon. Mm-hmm. What time did you get up on Saturday morning? Uh, 4 a.m. To be at the airport by? Uh, my flight left out of Nice at, uh, I think boarding started at 6.25 or something. How did you get to the airport? Uh, I had to take an Uber because the shuttles the, and trains uh, weren't, didn't begin until 7 a.m. Oh. So. How was your flight? It was actually pretty smooth considering I, I really don't like the uh, Nice airport. It's always a, a clusterfuck there usually. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember one flight getting canceled because the tire on the landing gear popped. <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't get it. They had to get uh, an, another one from another tire from Germany, and we were delayed for a long time. But this one was fine. Uh, flew out. I flew in through Munich, and I had to fly out through Frankfurt, and that was the first time I've been to that airport. Oh. Um, and I have to say, I wasn't really a fan. Munich, I would prefer. Um, but that was also smooth. Minor delays, of course. But well, we can talk more about can, I suppose. Um, well, not suppose we will. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. So it's a long weekend. Um, I've been a little tired. The cat terrorizes me. Mm -hmm. Well, now that I'm home, we'll put her on a new routine. She like so the cat likes to wake me up every day at like six o'clock. Mm -hmm. So I can never sleep in. And... She knows how to open the doors, so unless we, like, prop them closed. But then she'll scratch, and it's the scratching that drives me crazy. So, yeah. Don't worry. I'm, I'm looking at her now like I want to strangle her. I have a plan. It's fine. Uh, but, yeah. And then uh, just a busy week. I got up very early today and made you a traditional French omelette and some chocolate almond croissants. You did. I have to say, on Friday morning... Um, you know, I, I I like cars. I've had many of them. Uh-huh. I, I probably should count how many I've had since I was 16. But it's a lot. But anyway, um, I was looking up, like, my, you know, to have one of these, like, Carv like Carvana to buy it. And um, I discovered this new platform I had never heard of called Shift. This is not an ad for Shift. But I put in my car's information, and the amount they offered me was not believable. And it was at 4.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So Friday morning, the cat woke me up. So I'm just like on my phone, dicking around. Look up my car on this uh, website. And the amount was like significantly more than Carvana had offered me like two months ago. So I thought this can't be real. So I'm researching like a shift, like a real thing. And then I click through the, like, the, the process of seeing like, well, how would this work? And then next thing I know, they say they have an appointment available that morning. So it's 4.30 in the morning on Friday that someone can come to my house at 7 a.m. So like two and a half hours later, and I'll buy the car. So I'm like, well, this can't be right. So I called, so I called you and said, well, you know, this is what I might do if it's real and if they're really going to offer me this money. And sure enough... Some girl showed up and she was very like emo goth. She looked like she might have been like 20. And she was dressed like straight out of like fucking uh, Hot Topic. Wearing some 
sort of fragrance that was kind of putrid, but um, she was very nice and she had like a laptop or a, like an iPad and she had like official stuff with her and she's like pulling up all the information and she's like, yeah, we'll take it. Okay. And I'm like, like right now? She's like, yeah, you just sign this and enter your bank information. And I was like, so while I was waiting for her, I was like trying to do all the searches I could to make sure this was legit mm -hmm. and not like some random person... Because it all happened so fast. I couldn't believe it. And sure enough, I get an email like, because then they say they have 24 hours to inspect the car. Because, mm -hmm. you know, people could be fooling them. Like, I have all kinds of problems wrong with my car and they don't know until they look at it. But I got the confirmation email and then the bank deposit confirmation. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of wild. Uh, yeah, ju just that it happened so fast. And then I did get a new car. But Nick doesn't know what it is. Oh. Because you didn't ask me. So then... Well, I, I don't Because I picked you... Well, Nick doesn't know anything about cars. No. Nope. I picked you up in a car. Yeah. And you were like, oh, this is your new car. And I'm like, no, this is the, the loaner because my car is being prepared. Mm -hmm. So do you even know what kind of car you got into? Oh, no. Oh, you don't even... So if you were kidnapped, you couldn't even tell the police what picked you up. Well, I... Do you what, know what kind of car it is? four-door sedan. <laughs> sedan. You know what a sedan is? SUV. It's an SUV. Okay, I mean, I hate, <laughs> I hate cars. I hate anything that as soon as you buy it, it starts depreciating in value, and uh, you have to do upkeep with it. I hate that kind of stuff. So that's why I don't like cars. Are they beautiful specimens of uh, what mankind can make? Sure. But we need better modes of transportation, and <laughs> I, 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 I really don't like cars. I just need to get to where I'm going, is my attitude about life. But... So that's well, why yeah, because you don't take care of your shit. I had to wash your car while you were gone because it was embarrassing to oh look boy. at. Oh, boy. Okay. And it's so dirty. Like, I don't understand how your car gets so dirty. It's clean inside. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Boy, I should have taken pictures because There's I... just some coffee spills in the cup holder. There's okay, I took Clorox bleach wipes and wiped down your entire car. And I should have taken pictures of the bleach wipes when I was done. I... The shit was dirty, including your cup holders and your, like, the little tray where a person put their cell phone. Like, layers and layers okay, well, of coffee. I, I, we couldn't move away from castigating me in public. Um, so what else, whatever else you have to say about this car you're going to get. No, just that... Uh, you know, I've learned I, not to get attached to your cars because they don't stay around. Oh, oh so that's... so. So it's my fault. And each time, like you ha you'll get a car and happen to use a ninety-one express lane, and then I get a, a ticket in the mail because we haven't neglected we've neglected to update that account because. Well, let's so remember to update the express pass when I get this new car. But you'll see when I get it what it is. Cause... Uh -huh. Okay. But anyway, uh, so you got caught up on Drag Race All Stars Seven, the All Winter Season. <laughs> yes, after. <laughs> exhausted watching all three of those yesterday so we're on episode three mm -hmm. episode three the challenge was do you recall uh, i don't it was the realness oh, of fortune vanessa Ball. vanessa vanna white vanna white um uh so what did you think uh, overall mean, like watching all three at the same time it's fine i you know i like most i think i like all of them really um I think already there's some frustration because I think one of the strongest Raja, I think, should have been one of the top two 
in two episodes. In two of those three episodes, so that's kind of frustrating. But uh, yeah, it's fine so far. I mean, I'm not wowed, except by Jinx, maybe. Well, I thought this episode was fun because they got back to making their own outfits. So in the in the ball challenge, they had to give three looks. The first one was uh, they had to serve Vanna White realness. And, and Vanna White was actually there, like, surprising the girls as they walked out onto the runway. And a, a note on what some girls think Vanna White looks like, but... Uh... Yeah, it, it it's so weird to be given a very specific reference who has a very specific look, and then so many of the queens seemed off the mark. Evie Oddly was... That was embarrassing. Especially Evie Oddly was cringy, especially knowing that Vanna, like Vanna White was standing there. Yeah. I thought Jinx looked ridiculous. I think Jada Essence Hall and Raja look the best. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Trinity also Trinity looks nice, but her gown was a little too like pageant pageanty. Yes, because Vanna doesn't use. I, I I think Vanna looked most, or Raja and Jada looked the most like what we think of Vanna White. Yeah, they, they were both really good on that. Um, but then they had another. The second look was something called before and after, which is like it's inspired like pun based answers. So like, which is a really fun idea. Which I thought was a, a, a really fun idea. Uh, so, Jada Essence Hall did Bag Lady in Red. Which was a good... That one was very good, yeah. Yeah. Because she looks... I mean, I'm assuming she made that outfit, which mm -hmm. is amazing. Uh, Jinx Monsoon did Whatever Happened to Baby Jane Fonda. <laughs> so, she was dressed like Barbarella with the Betty Davis Baby Jane makeup. Mm -hmm. Monet Exchange did Bob the Drag Queen of, Elizabeth, of, of England. Yeah, and then didn't specify which which uh, queen. queen, which Elizabeth, but um, or, which, it yeah. was okay. Yeah, uh, it was fine. Raja did Olivia Newton John Waters. The problem with that one is that I think she looked great as like Bad Sandy, yeah. but then the John Waters reference was just like an imperceptible, like pencil thin mustache. So she did miss the mark on that one. Well, the other thing is, even if she had a more pronounced mustache that you could have seen, that still wouldn't have been enough John Waters. No, I. you know what I think it should have been? John Waters also has that hair. Like, he almost has, like, a comb-over. Mm -hmm. I almost wish, like, Raja would have done, like... Because the body and the outfit were right. So I wish he would have done the head John Waters. So worn, like, the bald cap with the comb-over and then the mustache. Or she could have come out with, a, like, a pink flamingo prop or... Something, yeah. Eggs. With, <laughs> yeah, like, like an additional prop. Shea uh, Coulee did the gold tooth fairy. That like, was probably my least favorite. I like the concept a lot. I didn't like the butterfly thing on her back. I like the concept, but the wings looked raggedy. I thought the outfit looked very basic. And then she was wearing like the the gold gloves with like the gold watches. It was just kind of a mess. Trinity did RuPaul Charles II. Mm. Eh, yeah. There are so many Charleses or Pauls that he could have punned on. That would have been great. Well, I heard RuPaul Charles Manson. I thought that was funny. Yeah, that was good. That could have been a good one. Uh, the Vivian did Princess Diana Ross. Um, I didn't get much of Diana Ro of uh, Princess Diana or Diana Ross. So I was disappointed with that one. Sure. Someone said uh, D Diana Ross Matthews. I thought that would have been funny. Oh, God. That would have been a mess. And then um, Evie Ali did Cardi B. Arthur. That was good. Which is good because even just saying it is funny. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that. Um, at this point, who do you think will win? Jinx. 
Jinx. Well, so the top two were Jada Essence Hall and Trinity the Tuck. They lip sync to Beyonce's Green Light mm -hmm. and Jada wins. So Jada gives the plunger to Jinx. Mm -hmm. So that now Jinx is blocked from getting a star next week. Yeah, I think uh, Raja, you know, I would. Like I think to... Raja should have been in top. Yeah, and that maybe that'll screw her for a slow start. But I think Shay's a strong contender. I was kind of su surprised at how underwhelmed I was at Shay's um, snatch game. Yeah, I not neither of them were were bad. It's just that sh considering previous snatch games and how talented she well, is. Well, she Shay's not funny, and even like she Shay won snatch game on All Stars doing Flavor Flav. But I didn't even think Flavor Flav was like laugh out loud hilarious. I think Flavor Flav was smart. He it was. I think Shay is smarter than she is funny. I agree, and then I think Flava that impersonation of Flava benefited a lot from what's your name's Eartha Kit. Yes, I think because how they playing off of the, her the, Eartha Kit playing off the two of, of them together yeah. elevated that. But moving on, I know you haven't watched Legendary. I, I am, I am caught up. The only thing I want to say is. For season three, they are really rat ratcheting up the drama. Okay. There's a moment when... Is, like, is La Roche still on it? Yes, and he's the source of it. Like, Of, of course he is. <laughs> yeah, and he's just kind of... Uh, he's just stank when he wants to be in... I just find him so unappealing, and then he's so critical, but then he looks crazy. Right. Like a lot of stylists, right? Stylists either look very classic and handsome or... You know, beautiful depending on how what what they prefer, but they're either very classic or they look like. I mean, they look homeless. Mm -hmm. They look like uh, don't don't look behind the curtain kind of. Yeah, and La Roach looks crazy to me, and, and like he was wearing a cat suit episode five, I think, and the body's not right for that, and Aww. the hair, and then there's a moment where he starts singing Amazing Grace. Uh, and then he said, and then he tells the, the the house like, "Oh, I'm singing at your funeral," and then you can tell the other judges thought that was mean. Yeah, that's. And then at one point, one of the contestants says something like they don't agree with him, and he's like, like gets up and says like, "Do you want to fight?" And to who? To the contestant. Mm. I don't know. I just I don't need the extra drama. It, it, they're already. I mean, the nature of the show is that these performances are dramatic. I don't need the theatrics outside of the performance. Is that uh, Leomi still a judge too? Leomi's a judge. And she hasn't shut him down? She does say something to him once, but, um, you know, Leomi's the only one who's qualified to be judged. Right, I agree. And she's that. the only one who gives, like, real critiques. Right. Like, I watched your choreography. You didn't do this correct. This is this. So she's great. Kiki Palmer is very um, thoughtful and funny, so I think she works well. Jamila is, like, her yes. scoring is... Useless. Useless. Yeah. And then La Roach is like, oh, I think you you guys are sexy, so I'm going to give you a nine. Or, and then... Oh, boo. Boo, yeah, that kind of bullshit. But I was going to say, also, these guest judges, um, for episode four, Issa Rae was a judge. Oh. And, you know, I appreciate that she says, like, she loves the show and she's a super fan and she couldn't be more excited to be there. And obviously having a notable person on the show really lends a lot of credit... Uh, uh, What's the word? Uh, cloud or credence? Credence or value to the show, but she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> she was just kind of like scoring everything based on how everyone else was scoring it. 
So if I were a contestant, I'd be kind of like, can people who actually understand yeah, yeah, yeah. ballroom mm-hmm. and dance and looks judge me? And then Bob the Drag Queen was a judge on one episode. And I thought he did an okay job. Um, you know, he's not very soothing to listen to. No. <laughs> His voice is getting worse again. But he comes sort of had some tension with Law. Okay. Because Law was being kind of a dick and... Because one of the houses had a reference to, like, a designer named Scaparelli. I don't know who this is. And Bob was like, you know, the challenge was anime, and you all did, like, something that's not really anime. And I think maybe that was lost on me. And then La Roche is like, well, the reference is Scaparelli. And Bob is like, well, you're a stylist. I would expect you to know that, but not everyone watching is going to be a stylist. Mm-hmm. So you could tell that... Mm-hmm. You can tell Bob doesn't like that man. Good for him. Yeah. So I did appreciate that. Um, moving on. Do you know who Todd Chrisley is? Is he related to Chris Chrisley? No. You're thinking Chris Christie. Chris Christie, the Florida. No, New Jersey. Oh, no. Um, no, this man. Do you know who this man is? Oh, yes. So he has a show, like a reality show called Chrisley Knows Best. And oh, yes. Of course, with the... Anyone in their right mind who watched the show no, was confused because it's like, oh, he's married with two kids to a lady, but, but he's gay. Let me tell you. So he just came out? No, he did not. Oh. But, you know, back in like 2018, I believe, he, um, they had a federal fraud case against he and his, or he and his wife uh, had, had a federal fraud case because of like... They're not human. Wire fraud and... <laughs> um, Money, like tax evasion, wire fraud, and conspiracy. Basically, like, lying to banks to be able to borrow a bunch of money to live this lavish lifestyle they had. And then when they couldn't pay it back, they just filed for bankruptcy. Oh, God. Which is obviously illegal. Mm -hmm. You can't, like, knowingly Mm -hmm. go into debt to then just be like, I'm going to have it wiped out. So, in the process of this case, their, their former business manager, this man named Mark testified that like he had a sexual affair with Todd Mm -hmm. and that they actually had to pay off someone who was blackmailing them to keep quiet. So they paid someone like $38,000. For this man that is so clearly gay. But he's talked about, I mean, I used to watch the show. Um, I watched it quite a bit, I believe, when I was in San Francisco for that year back and forth. And I also watched it when I was in um, Massachusetts for work for a while because there was nothing else to do but watch TV. And uh, I... I remember just thinking, like, this is so awkward. It's so, like, Emperor's New Clothes. Yes. Like, like, girl, everyone can see that you are a homosexual. But he's talked about it before. I think he was on Wendy Williams once, and he talked about it. Because, you know, she'll ask. Oh, of course. And he, he always says that thing that a lot of, like, closeted gay men who have beards do where they talk about, like, sex and how they can have sex with their wife. And it's like, no one's asking you... It, how you, you can perform. be You yeah. can be gay and have sex with women. Mm-hmm. Like, you're clearly, like, a closeted, also, religious, oh, southern gay man. Or also, if you don't... If the argument is you don't want that label placed upon you, then be honest about your... Your sexual your, fluidity or yes, something. Yes, yes. Exactly. Then, 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 then your ass is non-binary. Like, something that is... Makes sense that you don't fit into this uh, heteronormative mold. It's just boring. It's just boring. Uh, but anyway, that was a headline I read. Also, you know Kevin Spacey has like four new... Movies? No. Uh, 
the like in the United Kingdom, he's been charged with like four new counts of sexual assault. Really? Well, he's got a few film projects that were on the market at Cannes this year. Yeah, against three men. How old were they? Uh, this happened. the The men now are in their thirties. Oh, this, so these are. And this happened in back in twenty two thousand eight to two thousand thirteen. So that means that they would have been like in their like late teens, maybe early twenties. So they weren't. I don't think they were minors. This is, this is not like a, a child molestation thing. It's like sexual assault against adults, which is still not good. But, but uh, what did they all say on that set of House of Cards? Like everybody knew. <laughs> and he had to pay. Kevin Spacey had to pay Netflix back money for violating their sexual. Oh, I'm sure. Crime. He had yeah. to pay like thirty one million dollars to Netflix. Yeah. Because, I mean, he ruined House of Cards for them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's part of it. And then, did you know Juicy Smollier is going to be in a new movie? It's like a... You might know who this is. I don't know the author, James Earl Hardy. He wrote the B-Boy Blues. James Earl Hardy. That does sound familiar. Anyway, the a, a, a version of the book, B-Boy Blues, is being turned into a movie for BET+. And I, I believe the executive producer is Mona Scott Young. And if you don't know who Mona Scott Young is, she's the person who created Love and Hip Hop. So oh. she's, you know, she's the Shonda Rhimes of BET. But um, she's behind this movie and they've cast Juicy um, in a role. Juicy. So this might... I wouldn't call this a comeback because, I mean, it's, it's, it's BET plus. <laughs> no, but, the, you know, if... Has he paid his dues? I don't know. Let, let him do his little thing then. Who cares? Like, let's move on. You know, let's move on. But I'm not, yeah, I just think it's, I mean, we've talked about him before. I just, he's, he's been dragged through the mud enough and with all these legal fees and stuff, I'm sure this has been traumatic for him. Mm -hmm. He made a really stupid mistake. We've all made really bad mistakes. It's true. And I do think people deserve, uh, you know. Second, third, fourth, fifth chance. Because everyone makes mistakes all the time. Yeah, like, should he never be seen again? You know, right. So I don't think he should be banished. And what else is he going to do? That's the other thing. Someone like, you know, normal people can bounce back. If you get fired from your job for, you know, fudging your time card, you can go get another job. Mm-hmm. But someone like him, like, that motherfucker can't work at Trader Joe's. Right? I mean, he can't have, like, a normal job. So it's like, unless we want him to be starving in a corner somewhere, he has to do something related to what he knows. And if people are into it, then people should be allowed to consume it. I just feel like he wasn't popping enough to begin with. So that kind of works in his favor because it's like, who really... And like uh, Winona Ryder or something? Right. It's like, I don't think that Juicy was that famous that a year from now, if he's back on like a show, people would be like, you know, the scandal. How could you hire this man? Right. So that, I think he'll be fine. That reminds me, um, there's a lot of talk about Polanski while I was at Cannes, uh, mostly because he has a new movie that Skolomowski wrote uh, that would probably only be able to compete in Venice. But uh, I, I had heard that even now, uh, French distribution chains have turned their back on him. He can't get a distribution deal for his new film. Mm. I, I, I didn't look up to verify what was actually being said about that, but that's what people were saying. Uh, but that's interesting that even the French have maybe turned their backs on him. Hmm. 
Well, there's nothing in the sorry to this man section. We didn't review any films except my solo review of Bob's Burger, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, was brief. Uh, not my best work. Um, I definitely do better when you're around. So. Oh, well, thank you. There's not actually a lot of uh, this coming week. We'll have a few things to review, but there's nothing major. And then you didn't have anything listed for films released we didn't cover. Um, you did watch two movies for fun, which I believe were on your flight. I started something which I thought was going to be our secret film today, but I guess we'll push it ahead till next week. But I started something, a film from 1994 that I was like, oh, we have to watch this. Uh, It's so bad, it's good. It, I, I couldn't get through 10 minutes without like howling on the plane. (laughs) Well, now I'm anxious to know. And it's something I always want, I always wanted to watch. Do you think I've seen it? You might have, but you would have been, you know, a kid. Okay. Um, yeah, it's something I, I remember my dad hated it and he thought it was stupid, but it was one of those adult erotic thrillers. Watch me, like, absolutely love it. <laughs> no, it's, it's ugh, delicious. Like, what was the movie we watched with Sharon Stone and uh, uh, Sliver? No. Scissors? No. With uh, the lady from Possession. Isabella Johnny? Yeah. Sharon Stone and Isabella Johnny. And they're like, Oh, Diabolique. Diabolique. That's a, that's a remake. But yeah. I know it's a. We watched the original. Yeah, too. that was fun. No, the 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 remake is fun because it's so bad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. But but uh, the movies you watched for fun were. So so I turned that off and watched Eat Pray Love because I'd never seen it with Julia Roberts. I I hated that movie. I hated it. Can I tell a quick story about Eat Pray Love? Oh yeah, I already know what it's going to be, and we'll I'll comment on it. But go ahead. So I had a friend back in the day who worked for I I. I I mean, if he's listening, whatever, because he doesn't talk to me anymore. But um, he had a very, very well-paying job, like a corporate job. He was doing everything right, right? Like went to college, got this great job, had a really cute house in a cute part of town. Like was winning. And then one day he's like, I read this book and I think I need to make some changes. I'm like, what is this book? Eat, pray, love. This motherfucker decides to quit his job. And this is a... He was a 20 or early 30-something white man. Yep. Okay. He decides he's going to quit his job. He had saved like Mm $100,000. And he's like, I'm going to travel and sort of figure out like what I want to do. Great. So, like the first month was like, you know, nothing's happening. Two months rolls by, six months, a year, two years. Then we hit like three years. When I tell you that man never left the state of where we were. He didn't go anywhere? No. I knew that he he did that based on being inspired, but I didn't know he didn't ever Bitch, went anywhere. He didn't leave. All he would ever do is go to, um, there's a, a, a smaller town uh, where people visit who... Uh, we were in Minneapolis, and uh-huh. he would visit Duluth a lot. Oh, God. That was all he did. That was all he did, was go to Duluth. Well, okay. And smoke weed and sit in his house. And I just thought, like... Well, because let's be real, 100K, even in 2000, what is this, six seven was not enough money to do No, that. it's not, but I'm thinking... He told me the essence of the book. I don't remember. You can recount it in a second, but... If, I, if that were my plan, I would think, okay, well, I clearly had a plan for where I'm going. Like, I just quit my job. I certainly have a plan, like, oh, I'm going to spend six months traveling to, you know, Eastern Europe or something. Nope. Yeah, see, that, that, that's dangerous. But the woman, as much as 
yeah, at least she did kind of have a plan, but... <laughs> oh, first of all, did you like the movie? Not at all. Not at all. What were your problems with? Well, first of all, the, what's the basic story? The, my problems is just this privileged white lady bullshit. Like, that you get to just pick up and, and leave everything behind and travel to three random places to try to find yourself for a year. It It's... It's just so nonsensical. And of course she has like an affair and she... Oh yeah, she has romances. Cause, she starts to... Because she, she's learning... There are legitimate observations this woman has about her life that I think are meaningful to hear. As in this is a woman who could... Okay, so Viola Davis is her best friend and is married to some dumpy white man and <laughs> like is a, a nothing role for Viola. Uh, but she's explaining to her friend that, you know... Or her friend says, you're acting like a teenager. You're acting like or you're in college. And she's like, well, because I never got to experience those years because I was always with someone. So th there are things that make sense. Yeah, about, I was going to say the essence of it makes sense. But just the, the whole... And then she's married to Billy Crudup and she's like, I just don't want to be married to you. And he insistently won't let go. And uh, it... it so, and then she goes to Rome and uh, Bali and I'm forgetting somewhere oh in india in between there and it's just it has a romance with james franco who is so annoying uh and he's like breathy about all his voices and he introduces does her. he look good fine he looks fine but the way that they're all acting about him is like it's just james franco oh uh and and then because uh, he introduces her to his guru that's why hence the indian trip and and then she has a romance with Javier Bardem in Bali, who's the only one that comes off with any kind of dignity in this film. Because also at the end of the day, it's just Julia Roberts, <laughs> who I don't find to be a great beauty or talent. Uh, but just Ryan Murphy's direction, it's, it feels like overly long television. Just all the sentiments behind it are, it, again, it just is clearly geared towards uh, a, a certain type of person, which is, would be a wealthy white lady. Well, talk about your next movie. Uh, oh, The Other Bolin Girl. <laughs> <laughs> the Other Bolin Girl. <laughs> Which is based on... Uh, I remember when the book came out because it was all over... Like, what it was, was the talk of Cam? As, as, as Faye Dunaway said, it was the talk of town and all of Cam. Uh, based on a kind of a fictionalized uh, historical novel by Philippa Gregory, I think. And uh, its assertion is that Anne Boleyn, who was, of course, the second wife of Henry VIII, uh, had a sister, Mary, that he actually liked more and fathered a bastard child with uh, before he annulled his wife to Catherine of Aragon and married Anne, who uh, he had beheaded. Because, of course, Catherine of Aragon... Uh, so Henry VIII was very... Uh, I was intensely interested in as a kid, so I, I know all of these things off the top of my head, but um, his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, gave him uh, a daughter, Mary, who became better known as Bloody Mary because she was Catholic. And as you know, in England at the time, they had the, uh, the religious wars going back and forth between the Catholics and the Protestants. Anyway, uh, Anne Boleyn gave him his daughter, Elizabeth, who, uh, of course became the notable Protestant uh, Virgin Queen Elizabeth, played by uh, countless actresses. And, oh, so then she can't, she has a miscarriage because, of course, he has to have a boy. And then in this uh, fictionalized version, she sleeps with her brother because the king can't know she miscarried and she has to have a boy right away. Otherwise, he's going to uh, divorce, annul his marriage and uh, 
but instead she gets caught in the act. He beheads her and he marries Jane Seymour, who's played by Juno Temple. Uh, the casting is funny and weird, uh, and it's not a good film, uh, but Scarlett Johansson and Natalie Portman are the Boleyn, the slutty Boleyn sisters, I think as somebody calls them once, and their parents were played by Kristen Scott Thomas and Mark Rylance. I think where the film really stumbles is casting Eric Bana as Henry VIII. Oh. Because Eric Bana is very attractive, and Henry VIII was not. Uh, so I think it would have been kind of a lot more weirder, sleazier film if he had been kind of this disgusting man that all of these nubile young women are clearly throwing themselves at. Um, but yeah, uh, interesting but not very good. Directed by Justin Chadwick. All right, we're foregoing the projects of interest section because you're going to talk about all these new movies you saw in Cannes. Uh, Unfortunately, we do have um, an entry in the obituary section. We sure do. Ray Liotta's gone. Yeah. Uh, I do know who this person is, so that's good. Um, you wrote down a list of some of your favorite films of his. Yes, g going backwards, I really like... Uh, but uh, just to be clear, oh. he passed at the age of 67, so he was still young, and all I read was that he died in his sleep, so that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, it's too bad, because uh, he's got like seven or eight projects that are still coming out, Like mm. so this was uh, obviously clearly unexpected. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of his recent supporting turns are... Excellent, but uh, I really like him in The Place Beyond the Pines. I think he's very menacing. Derek Cienfrance film starring Ryan Gosling from 2012. Oh, Corinna Corinna with Whoopi Goldberg uh, is a beautiful, beautiful movie if you've never seen it. Um, we were talking about this right before I went to, to Cannes because uh, we had, we're having a Pia Zadora conversation, but The Lonely Lady. <laughs> based on a Harold Robbins novel uh, where Ray Liotta rapes Piazador with a garden hose is one of the highlights. Uh, one of his earlier film roles, I think it's like 1983. Uh, I, you know, it, I have very fond memories of this film and love watching it, but, you know, it doesn't do anybody any favors, really. Uh, Marriage Story, of course, in which he played Adam Driver's lawyer. Yeah. Uh, I think he's excellent in that. I love all of his scenes with Laura Dern in court. Um, of course... Heartbreakers, in which he is one of the Marks, uh, played by Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt, the mother and daughter grifters. And then, of course, uh, you can't talk about Ray Liotta without Scorsese's Goodfellas. Which I have not seen. You've never seen Goodfellas? <gasps> I haven't seen Goodfellas. I haven't seen the Godfather movies. That's not Scorsese, but... Uh, is Scarface a Godfather movie? That's Brian De Palma. Is Scarface a Godfather movie? No. Oh, okay. So then I haven't seen that either. Uh, did you see Casino? I do like Casino. Okay, that's Scorsese. Um, no, Goodfellas is excellent. That's really, yeah. All right, well, bye to that man. All right, so you have about 23 minutes to talk about Can. Where should we begin? How was your overall experience? Uh, intense, because uh, I was very pedal to the metal. Uh, this this year, uh, but also a lot smoother than last year, as in even getting around uh, masks. Because there's no COVID protocol. There's, there's no COVID protocol. They just encourage people wear masks. Yes, except there, um, the COVID. The only COVID protocol was I had to get a test to come back to the U.S. Uh, so because the fest wasn't offering it, they were offering venues, but you had to pay for the tests this year. Um, so that, that, that was about it. But, you know, I was shocked and surprised at uh, how people have just regressed to uh, pre-pandemic times. Like, they're, they're just grown-ass adults. 
uh, coughing, sneezing, and not covering, like making no moves, no moves to cover their mouths whatsoever, which <laughs> in, in, in packed theaters. And I, I don't know, it did to me, and on the plane too, it, and I flew in and out of Germany and we were told that we had to wear masks and there were just these people on the plane that were, they weren't wearing masks, coughing and sneezing, and no, the flight attendants weren't even bothering to enforce it. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, I was just very surprised. And, oh, and then of course, um, now the new uh, uh, shadow on the horizon is monkeypox, which uh, I don't think people are talking about here, but uh, in Europe, that, those were major uh, kind of headlines that, pe that were popping up everywhere. Mm. And, and also because there's a, uh, a greater transmission amongst gay men. Uh, so, Well, that, I think that's because th that community tends to be closer contact. Yes, and that's how it spread is through, you know, saliva so, and fluids. and Yeah. Uh, and then the, the, some of these news stories have been linking uh, some of the spread to uh, raves that happened in Spain and Belgium. <laughs> Again, the spread has been very little, but... You know, people are going to do what they want to do. I don't care. I don't... Like, I, I just don't care anymore. Like, you want to shoot up the place. You want to get sick and die from... Like, I don't care. Because people are just going to do what they want to do. And you can't... No, nothing... No one wants to do what makes sense. And everyone will find a reason to do what they want to do. So, it's just like... Yeah, whatever. I mean, none of this should make sense to me. Um, still, like I said, the last film festival, like it, it just doesn't make sense that we do things like things that we could easily do not in person. We don't. And, and then the things that we could do like remotely, like work, there's resistance to that. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, getting back to the Cannes, Cannes film festival. So do you, do you want to talk about the awards first? Because the, the, the award ceremony was yesterday. And so we knew we now have a new Palme d'Or winner. Go ahead. Uh, it's Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Ostlund, who it's his second Palme d'Or. He won uh, in 2017 for The Square. Okay. Uh, so that is not surprising. But I thought I had assumed it would be what won the second place Prize, which was a tie for Close, directed by Lucas Don't, and Stars at Noon, directed by Claire Denis. Uh, Best Director was awarded to Park Chan-wook for Decision to Leave. Uh, Tarek Sala won Best Screenplay for Boy from Heaven. Uh, Jury Prize, which is basically third prize, uh, was EO, directed by Yerzy Skolomowski, uh, tied with The Eight Mountains by Charlotte Vandersmeersch and Felix Van Grenningen, the, the Belgian duos whose name I was... Uh, mispronounced uh and then there was a 75th anniversary prize which uh is a random because it's the 75th Cannes film festival that the jury awarded to uh the Dardenne brothers for Tori and Lokita which is weird because back at the 70th they created some cockamamie prize like that the i think Nicole Kidman got the 7th, 70th anniversary prize like somebody that she had four films in that festival and they didn't give her best actress they gave her this weird separate award uh, the Best Actress winner this year was uh, Zahra Amir Ebrahimi for Holy Spider, uh, and Best Actor went to Song Kang-ho for Broker. You watched 62 movies. Yep. And you reviewed, you wrote 41 reviews for that, Ion Cinema. That's correct, which is a record. And, yeah, uh, sounds like a nightmare, but... Well, I was watching five movies almost every day while I was there, um and writing two, three pieces a day, and sleeping and eating. So that, 
there really was no time to relax. But that that's how it goes. If you want to, if you're not one of the trades, so you don't get treated, you don't get kind of you know preferential treatment in your scheduling. Uh, that's kind of what you have to do. Because also, well, have to do is well, <laughs> you know, it goes into. They also have a tiered hierarchy of um, press credentials. So if you don't have the kind of coverage output that they want, you don't get to maintain. Uh, necessarily a higher so this is this is for yeah me. but you could you could do 30 reviews not 40 and probably still be the same right Sh- sure but it's also a matter of integrity for me like i i'm there to do this and i don't know sure i mean you again people can do what they want to do it doesn't matter <laughs> Doesn't make sense or not? Well, you know, Miles. I also basically stay off of social media, and I don't like listening to what other people have to say before I've written something because it's a very, uh, especially can out of all the film festivals I've ever been to, is a very mob-minded. Uh, the you know the um, trades will usually set the tone, and then there will kind of be bands of people that are all love something or all tear down something else, which I kind of hate all of that mentality. Uh, do you want to go through your top 15 quickly? Okay. Okay. Are, are, are these in order? Yeah, starting at 15. Okay, so number 15 is something called 1976. Yes, uh, directed by Manuela Martelli. It's a Chilean film set during Pinochet's regime. Uh, and it's about uh, a woman that uh, takes in a young boy. She's an ex-Red Cross worker uh, and hides him from the authorities. Uh, very uh, great lead performance, uh, lots of menace. Uh, it, I, I think it has a fantastic opening where she's getting paint for her uh, fancy family villa and somebody gets abducted. Uh, somebody gets snatched by the secret police right in front of everybody and how they just get taken screaming away and everybody moves on with their life. Number 14, Armageddon Time. <sighs> James Gray, which I was surprised this didn't win anything. Uh, it was in competition. It's semi-autobiographical uh, about his life growing up and then being moving from public to private school, which uh, was a private school attended by the Trump family, uh, and being introduced as a child to uh, systemic racism with his little black friend who he kind of forsakes at one point, uh, which is distressing and hard to watch. Uh, But the child performances are fine, but it's really uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins as the grandfather that is really good. I think the casting is off because Anne Hathaway plays his daughter and she's a little too young for that. It was supposed to be Kate Blanchett originally, which makes a little more sense. Uh, But it's one of those films that, you know, I guess would be for a certain type of white person to see. But I did, uh, I was, it was unexpected because that's not usually... Uh, especially James Gray's last few films like Ad Astra or The Lost City of Z, these these sprawling, ambitious kind of epic films. Uh, and this was definitely the most intimate thing I've seen by him. Number 13, Funny Pages. Uh, directed by Owen Klein, who is the son of Kevin Klein and Phoebe Cates. Uh, he's been in, I know he's in Bombax Squid and the Whale, but this is a film he directed. Somebody told me this film like five years ago. Uh, it was part of the director's fortnight and I was so uncomfortable watching it. Uh, but it's dark and kind of funny. It's about this high schooler kid who wants to be a, a cartoonist and his high school mentor is this, the, the art teacher is this big fat man. They're alone in his studio and he convinces him to paint him naked. And then, because this is like a 17 year old. And then they get all weird about it and he, he chases him down on the street to be like, are you okay? I'm sorry, you know, like, I crossed this boundary. And then he gets killed, like a car hits him and he dies, which 
causes this kid to decide to move out of his parents' house and move to uh, Trenton, New Jersey in this uh, garden-level basement apartment shared by two other men that are gay and clearly on meth. And it is so... <laughs> there are so many uncomfortable moments. And uh, yeah, but I thought it was actually quite well done. Number 12, Godland. Godland, I think it's the... Third film directed by Iceland's Hilner Palmason. Uh, we reviewed his last film, A White White Day. Uh, and this film, I think, should have been in competition. Uh, there was a lot of strong support for it. It is long, uh, but I didn't really like it. It's about a priest traveling from uh, Denmark to Iceland uh, across the rough terrain, uh, which yields actually the first landscape photographs ever recorded of uh, the landscape in Iceland. But basically, it's about his uh, kind of demise in the the treacherousness of the journey. Number 11, All the People I'll Never Be. That's the English language tran translation, uh, or the English language title of uh, Davy Shue's new film, which is, the French language title is Return to Soul. Uh, and Davy Shue won Critics Week, I think, for his debut Diamond Island a few years ago. This one I responded to quite warmly. It's about a young woman. Uh, she's born in Korea, but adopted by French parents, and she accidentally kind of makes it to Seoul uh, and decides on a whim to look up her biological parents and kind of the search for her identity through that. Uh, but a really fantastic lead performance, great soundtrack, uh, set over eight years. It's very, it, it's definitely not formulaic and I think its detractors uh, were didn't like the pacing of it, but it feels much like life and how transitions happen in life. It doesn't go according to a formula. and. I don't know, I really uh, like that about the film. Number 10, Showing Up. Showing Up, uh, the last day of screenings was uh, the newest film from Kelly Reichardt, kind of a smaller film from Reichardt, but I, I did uh, also really like it. Uh, she reunites with Michelle, little white Michelle Williams for the fourth time. Uh, Who? Wh white Michelle Williams. You know, we don't acknowledge her. <laughs> why don't we acknowledge her? I only acknowledge black Michelle Williams. Well, that's why I'm calling her white Michelle Williams. <laughs> you know, I just have to be shady every time I hear it. They can, they I don't have anything wrong. I don't have a problem with that lady. They can coach Is she it. the one in La La Land? That's Emma Stone. Oh, wow. Well, she's the one in, she's in Brokeback Mountain. She had a kid with Heath Ledger. Does she look like the lady from? Well, you know, from a distance, they all kind of look the same. But um, oh. she, <laughs> I do like Michelle Williams. Uh, I think she's very talented. Did uh, she play Marilyn Monroe? That movie I don't like, but yes, I haven't seen yes that she movie. did. That's not worth watching. It's a waste of time. Uh, anyway, she plays this, uh, She's a sculptor, but working as a secretary at uh, this notable art school in Portland that her mother works at. And uh, she's it's set over a week, and she's about to have a showing of her work and how basically uh, she, she's distracted and pulled in every other kind of direction. She actually has a cat that she lives with that I think she responds to the cat much like you do to ours. Uh, oh, she hates the cat. <laughs> the, there's this one scene towards the beginning where... The cat's meowing at her and she's like, oh, I know you're hungry, but we don't have any food in the house. And she's like about to go do her date, like her art during her day. And the cat's like still crying. She's like, you're ruining my work day. <laughs> uh, the cat injures this pigeon, like chewing on in the bathroom. And she's like, oh, go die somewhere else. And she throws it out the window. And her landlord, who's a peer at the art school, who she can't stand, rescues the bird and like lassoes her into helping take care of it. <laughs> she kind of does out of guilt. Uh, yeah, there was a lot I liked about that film. Andre Benjamin, uh, I think adds a really nice accent. Oddly, he's also credited with playing the flute that's in the score. <laughs> Number nine, Corsage. Okay, this, 
also could have been in competition for my money, but uh, it's in a certain regard. It's the latest film by an Austrian filmmaker named Marie Kreutzer starring the wonderful Vicky Creeps. Vicky Creeps had two films about dying, and th but this one was fantastic, and I think she won an acting prize out of UCR for this. But she plays the Empress of Austria, who has just turned 40, who's now considered an old lady, and uh, kind of every everything is treating her that way, and she decides to... Uh, kind of throw it all away and, and, and enjoy enjoy herself before she ultimately um, kills herself. Number eight, Triangle of Sadness. The Palme d'Or winner. Uh, you know, I find with Ruben Ostland, uh, who's often making fun, even, you know, five or six films, he's making fun of um, uh, culture uh, and uh, social... Uh, structures that we take for granted. You saw the remake of his Force Majeure, that movie with Will Ferrell and Julie Louis-Dreyfus where they're at that ski resort and there's the avalanche and the man runs away mm -hmm. and kind of the ripple effects of that. That That's very much his speed in lots of his films and they, since this, the square was his kind of most ambitious and kind of, you know, arguably lazily making fun of the art world because that's a very easy target. And now he's taking on kind of the fashion industry at first in this three-part um, film it starts off in I, I think it starts off in LA about these two this these two models that are a couple and she's a social influencer is very much playing with uh, gender norms and how in this particular industry women make more than the men uh, and then it switches the best part of the film is this very long uh, second part where they're on a cruise ship and and the seafood goes bad that they serve everyone and everybody gets sick just as the storm is happening. And it's all, it's like if Pasolini directed the Poseidon adventure, it's everybody throwing up. Woody Harrelson is the ship's captain who's just drunk uh, and uh, trading all these lines about uh, communism with this uh, rich Russian asshole that's also on the boat. Anyway, they're then attacked by pirates. There are a handful of survivors that make it on this island and then they're trying to survive on the island where all of this social hierarchy shift uh i think that you would find it highly entertaining number seven pacification pacifiction oh pacifiction it's sorry a, basically made up word it's the latest film directed by <laughs> albert sarah uh it's it's kind of like joseph conrad for the nuclear age and it's long it's two hours and 45 minutes i think the last hour comes together quite well uh benoit majumel is this he, he's they call him the high commissioner it's basically a prefect because he's in French Polynesia, Tahiti, which is uh, owned by France. And they have just discovered it's, that there's gonna be nuclear testing on a nearby island, which hasn't been done in 20 years. And it has like, last time that happened, there were terrible ripple effects with amongst the locals, of course. And basically how he really has no control over what he does. But a really great performance, uh, especially if you take a step back uh, in how this man is moving about this environment. And, and again, I think it comes together really well. Um, I was kind of bummed that didn't win anything, but... Number six, EO. Jerzy Skolomowski in his 80s basically does this freeform remake of Al Hassar Balthazar, the uh, Robert Bresson film about a donkey that's tortured and supposed to be a metaphor for humanity. Uh, this is kind of doing the same thing about this donkey that starts off, that's liberated from this carnival sideshow in Poland and eventually makes it to this Italian slaughterhouse. Uh, it's not as dark as uh, Balthazar, but it is very interesting, very experimental, especially considering it's from uh, this, this you know, notable Polish auteur in his 80s. Uh, and Isabel Huppert pops up as a count who has a... Uh, 
a cat food drop. Uh, a weird, uh, the kind of uh, relationship you expect Isabelle Huppert to have with her son <laughs> in a film. Uh, so I uh, quite enjoyed that. And I, again, that was tied for a third place prize. Number five, Close. Okay, I thought this was going to win. Uh, it's the second film directed by Lucas Don't, Belgian filmmaker. His first film had a lot of controversy, Girl, uh, about a ballet dancer transitioning. Uh, and of course, there were a ton of people upset that the lead was carried by a cis, played by a cisgender male. Uh, but the second one is about two 13-year-old boys in uh, Belgium who are very close friends, like almost romantically. But it's at that age where, you know, they their sexuality hasn't come into it yet. And they go to their first year of secondary, their first day of secondary school and their closeness immediately makes them a target. But in not in all the ways you would expect. Like, the girls are very inquisitive, like, oh, are you guys a couple, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the one, Leo, I think his name is, is very much taken aback by that, doesn't want to be seen as gay. You know, of course, there's the obligatory, someone uses the F slur on him. Uh, and, but the other friend, the kind of the more sensitive one, um, doesn't really care about that. But as one, as Leo starts to distance himself, uh, he basically ghosts his friend, the friend loses it and kills himself. And so then it's about kind of the, uh, the after effects of that and dealing with the grief and you know, kind of the level of responsibility we have towards those in our lives and uh, learning how to communicate effectively. Uh, it's, it's a sad film. It evoked a lot of memories for me as a kid at that age. Uh, and I, I don't want to say it's necessarily a gay film. It's, it's just, it's, a, it's something that we're all conditioned to do uh, as we grow and how appropriate it is, especially for young men to behave uh, around their friends. And uh, I thought this was going to win, but it, it was tied for second place. And I, it was, you know, I thought really well done. Number four, Crimes of the Future. I, I think I was, uh, uh, most people didn't seem to respond well to the new David Cronenberg, but I really liked it. Uh, it's about, uh, it's a body horror film that kind of comes full circle in a way for Cronenberg, uh, but it's, uh, it's set in a world where uh, human beings have had to uh, evolve in this increasingly synthetic environment. And there's this thing happening where humans are growing new organs in their body and we're not quite sure what they're for all the time. And there's a performance artist played by Viggo Mortensen and his cohort, Leah Seydoux, who do live shows of these growths and organs being removed from him. And there's a new governmental agency that's responsible for tagging, tattooing these organs uh, so they can track them and make sure that they're trying to track like hum that human evolution is going in the right way. <laughs> so it's basically an hour and 45 minutes of just weirdness and constant overly loquacious discourse which i loved i loved all of the ideas that are coming across scott speedman plays this guy that created a child that basically is meant to survive off of industrial waste so that humans become their own like that's the only way to save the planet like all of these these details but the child is weird and so it's murdered by his mom uh <laughs> Uh, Kristen Scott or Kristen Kristen Stewart plays this character named Tim Lin who has this very interesting way of speaking that works for the uh, the organ tracing agency. I thought it was fantastic. 
Okay, number three, Stars at Noon. Stars at Noon. Again, this is why I like keeping myself in a bubble because I loved this film and it seems like a lot of people didn't and I could care less that they didn't. Uh, but it is based on a 1986 novel by Dennis Johnson that's about uh, the 1984 Sandinistas uh, situation going on in the Iran-Contra affair. Uh, Claire Denis updates it to uh, Nicaragua right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and as you know, Nicaragua has slid into a dictatorship as of last year. So there are some fitting, uh, ambiguous, sinister things going on in the background about this American journalist that's stuck there uh, and her passport has been taken from her and she's trying to get to Costa Rica so she can somehow get back to the US. And she falls in love with this, uh, this uh, British person that is representing an oil company uh, and basically how everything's suddenly close in on them. Uh, it's a kind of a nice, real sweaty uh, thriller that uh, reminded me of 80s films directed by Peter Weir, like The Mosquito Coast and The Year of the Living Dangerously, uh, reminding me of Antonioni's The Passenger. Uh, I was expecting not to like Margaret Qualley at all in it, uh, but I thought she was actually very entertaining as this kind of, this woman who's become kind of feral uh, and has had to turn to sex work to try to make connections with people in the government to try to get out of there. Uh, yeah, I just really liked it. Number two, One Fine Morning. Uh, Mia Hansen loves next film. Just like in one word, lovely. Uh, it should have been in competition. It was in director's fortnight, especially considering some of the bullshit that was in competition. Lea Seydoux is this uh, woman. She plays a translator whose uh, dad, Pascal Gregory, has this neurodegenerative disorder and he's he, he can't live on his own. And they're, they're trying to, um, in Paris, trying to find him uh, an assisted living place, kind of the, the strenuousness of that. Uh, Nicole Garcia plays her mother, that she's divorced from her father. Uh, meanwhile, she uh, has this romance with somebody from her past, because she's a widow, uh, played by Melville Poupeau. Uh, just a really lovely uh, film and a fantastic performance from Lea Seydoux. Like, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong in this. Um, it, it's very similar to her film, Things to Come, which you saw with Isabelle Huppert. Uh, the dad has all these books because uh, he was a philosophy professor and the family's, you know, the daughters are trying to figure out what to do with them. And she's explaining to her child, like they, um, the books are important because all of them make up him. They're all a color of him, which I loved. Okay. And you have 90 seconds. Your number one selection is RMN. Oh, directed by Christian Munju. Uh, I don't think it won anything actually, but uh, kind of about rising nationalism in this Transylvanian community that's on the... Uh, Hungarian-Romanian border. Uh, fascinating, fantastic ending. Um, and that's all I guess I'll say about that. I have, I've written about every single competition film except for The Eight Mountains. Uh, yeah, so if people want to read what you wrote, they can go to Ion Cinema. And on the plane, I want to plug a fantastic book I read by Gail Parent, Sheila Levine is Dead and Living in New York. It's uh, in response kind of to uh, Portnoy's complaint a little bit, like a female version of uh, a young Jewish woman. Uh, there's a f uh, film version directed by Sidney J. Fury from 1975 starring Jeannie Berlin, but just a very fun read, kind of like a very funny Salinger almost, but I highly recommend that. Anything else? No, I guess I'll have to leave it at that. All right. Uh, this week... Just uh... a couple things we have to watch, but... All right. Well, hope I make it through. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Um, that's all I have. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>